Hi there, I'm Jay Comfrey, and this is High Performance, the podcast that shows you it's within. Your ambitions, your dreams, your purpose, it's all there. We just unlock it by taking the lived experiences of the planet's highest performers and turning them into your life lessons. So right now, allow myself and Professor Damien Hughes to speak to one of the most impressive rugby players in the world. My skill set is pretty much based on output. It's based on how hard I can work and the effectiveness of those collisions or of those involvements in a game and the accumulated amount of those across the 80-minute window. If I was going to succeed in this, it had to come from me. It wasn't me relying on anyone else. You know, it was me having to wake up to catch the train, to catch the bus, to get to training. It just gave me that self-motivation. The way they viewed me was never based on how good or bad I was at rugby. So it wasn't necessarily a part of my self-worth, whether I was good at rugby or whether I was bad at rugby. So I, in a way, it gives a certain sense of freedom as well, because I think when you wholly define your life through what you do, if that is then taken away from you, it then becomes it becomes difficult. So today we welcome Maro Itoji to the High Performance Podcast, someone who epitomizes an elite mindset in rugby. In fact, stay where you are because as soon as this episode begins, he gives us an amazing definition of high performance. You know that first question we always ask? What does high performance mean to you? I know we've pretty much had a different answer from every guest, but we've certainly not even had an answer that comes close to the kind of approach that Marrow takes. And then he talks about his discipline as a young lad growing up. And I think where he's really humble is he doesn't say that he's a, you know, a flair player. He's not a Lionel Messi. He doesn't see himself as a superstar rugby player that uses his natural ability to change the game. He sees himself as a grafter, a really hard worker. And I think what's really special there is that we should all have that view of ourselves. As soon as we think that we're special or as soon as we think that our natural talent or that our intuition or that our emotional intelligence will see us past a problem, then I think we stop working. And I think we may well still have all those things which will help. And there's no doubt that Marrow is not doing himself justice and he is an incredibly talented natural athlete. But the fact that he thinks that his secret source is hard work is really powerful. So let's get to it then. A really fascinating conversation with an amazing rugby player as we welcome England and Saracens forward Maro Itoji to the High Performance Podcast. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to High Performance. Thank you. What is your definition of high performance? So... <laughs> You know, I've I listened to your guys' podcasts. Um, I've been listening for a number of years, and you obviously this is the first question that you guys always open up with. So, in preparation for this, I was thinking, what would my definition of high performance be? And I don't have a too fancy definition, to be honest. But I do think there's a distinction between high performance and elite performance i think high performance is relative um i think it's perhaps subjective to each individual um you know what's high performance for you will be different to what's high performance for me um and so on and so forth um however i think elite performance is performing at the very top level in your given field um, whatever field that that may be. See, I think that's a really interesting definition. And by the way, this is maybe episode 170, whatever. Mm. You're the first person that has created that differentiation between high performance and elite performance. And I'm pleased you have, because often I think people are put off almost by the title of our podcast because they assume high performance is for someone else, not for them. And we try and drill home the message that it's your version of high performance, exactly as you say. Yet elite performance it's about comparing yourself to others. It's about being in the company of others. It's about where you sit in that list of top performers. So how do you ensure that you're an elite performer, not a high performer? I guess there's several aspects to that. I think the first is being honest with yourself. After you play, you know, I'm, I'm a rugby player, so I use rugby references. And after you've played at a number of years at a certain level, you kind of get a gauge of your body you get a gauge of you know how you're performing and I like to think other people may disagree but I like to think that I have a relatively good gauge of of how I'm performing um, how well I'm performing and you know when I'm off that what that how that looks like how it feels so in order to almost st hopefully stay at an elite level, I think requires a sincere amount of honesty. Um, honesty and, you know, you need to have a look at yourself and be like, okay, where am I? Where do I want to get to? How do I need to improve? Uh, I guess what's underpinning all of that is a general sense of always looking to improve, always looking to keep the ball moving. I think if you stay idle for too long or rest on your laurels in any given respect then that is probably the time where you start to go downhill see what you're describing there is the classic case of the dunning-kruger law aren't you but so the dunning-kruger law was named after two guys david dunning and justin kruger that said that if you're good at something you have the self-awareness to know why you're good at it equally if you're not good at something 
you lack self-awareness to know what are the areas you need to improve in. So I'm interested in how you've learned to do that kind of self-analysis and to raise your levels of self-awareness to constantly keep improving or picking up little areas that you can get better at. Yeah, I'm, I'm by no means an expert of this. I don't want to sound as if, you know, I've I've cracked the code. But I think part of that is innate. I think a part of it is, I think, just how my psychological makeup is. Um, I think I'm quite receptive to people questioning me or criticizing me in, in certain respects, especially when it's performance related. The other aspect of it is also the nature of perhaps the environments that I was raised in. Um, when I say raised, I'm I'm talking about from a sporting point of view. Um, you know, I grew up in, I've, I've been at Saracen since the age of 14. That's where I, you know, kind of had my formative years with regards to performance. And, you know, the environment there is very much at getting better. It's very much about people telling you when you're wrong, praising you when you're right. They're very good at that as well. But it's very much about trying to get better, trying to exceed um, in, you know, and achieve that common goal. So I guess it's um, a mixture of nature and nurture. Can we touch a bit more on the nurture? I'd love to know what was in the upbringing at home that not only led you towards playing rugby, which was a sport that you hadn't played before you finally got the opportunity but then your doggy determination to make a success out of it. And I know that you you hold your Nigerian values and roots very close. And I wonder to what extent do you carry that with you in your career and how that's helped you? Well, I think there's several aspects to that question. I think the first the first part which I'll touch on is I'm very, very proud of like my Nigerian heritage. Um it's a essential part of who I am. It's it's the you know, it's formed the lens in which I've, in which I see the world. It's shaped me. I can't even describe how much it shaped me. Can you expand on on what and why? Yeah, I grew up in North London. I've never lived in Nigeria. I've been to Nigeria several times um, on a holiday and vacation, but I've never lived there. And why is it shaped me? in such a way my parents were born in nigeria both of them they they both spent some of their schooling abroad etc but they were firmly like brought up and bred in in nigeria and i always describe my house or my parents house as it was like living in lagos but in in london (laughs) because the house was very nigerian in terms of culture in terms of values in terms of you know the food we ate in terms of the people coming in and out of the house but I step outside the house then I'm in North London you know being Nigerian or being raised in the way in which I was raised has just formed my my viewpoint on on the world it's it's you know the first reference I had to anything else and everything else has been uh, affected by that I guess in terms of what that actually looks like, I guess Nigerians, they hold respect in high regard. My parents never tolerated any form of of disrespect. Like even to this day, there's certain things (laughs) I I wouldn't say in and around my parents because they they hold respect to such a high... Bad language and things like that. So 
I try not to use uh, profanity for different reasons, for religious reasons. Right. Um, but if I was to use it in front of them, it would feel weird. Right. <laughs> it would just feel like odd. So I'll give you an example. Um, so in in Western culture, in Brit- in, Brit- in British culture, you know, is is not unusual to call, I guess, your auntie by her first name, by Jane or whatever. Whereas if I called my auntie like by her first name, I have an auntie Stella. If I called her Stella, it's like I'm insulting her. It's a massive lack of respect I'm showing her because it's just like the hierarchical nature of like Nigerian families. But even besides respect, there's, you know, in terms of family values, in terms of hard work, in terms of community, um, there's, there's so many aspects aspects to it. How much of that you've described Saracens as your home? Did you see a values match there from what you're describing? So I remember the first time I I went into Saracens or well, the senior environment, and I was as I was 16 years old or so, and they called me up to take part in you know the first team training. I was nervous but incredibly excited, and you know these all these players that I've seen on TV. Um, I was now going to be in the change room with them and train with them, so I was you know super excited, but at, at the same time incredibly anxious and nervous. And I walked into the little corridor and the first person I saw was um, a scrum half called Neil DeCock. And he was like, hello, man, how you doing? Shook my hand straight away. And I was like, wow, this is one of the most experienced players on, on the team. And he's embracing me so warmly. Um, and it you know really took me aback. Then I had we had players there like John Smith, who was Springboks captain, World Cup winner, etc., doing the exact same. Um, so all these, I was interacting with all these players and they were, you know, treating me with so much res- respect and they were so kind to me, someone that they, they don't know, you know, just some young kid from the academy. And, you know, as, as, as you know, there's so many young kids in the academy that it's hard to, you know, always show these guys the, the respect or, is, you know, just be consistent with it anyway. But they were all embracing me so, so warmly. For me, it was like the perfect place to to grow. It was a perfect place for me to try and learn and like expand my my skills in that respect. And can you share with our listeners what the respect and the values and the discipline that you've just talked about does for you as a as an athlete? Because I think that we still sometimes have um, we have a, a dissonance here where it's like I'm going to be really respectful. Oh, but that's got nothing to do with performing at an elite level. And then, and then we see other people performing at an elite level who we know are not disciplined and are not respectful. And we kind of assume that you don't need them both. But I get the sense that the discipline element is a really important one for the performance element for you. Yeah, um, I'm not one of those players um, who I guess is... I don't know if any of you see me play rugby, but I'm not necessarily the, the most skillful player in, in you know, on the field. You know, I'm not one of those players who can who can kick the ball seventy yards or you know spin off my left, off my right, thirty meter passes. Um, I don't perhaps have that deft touch that some players are are graced with. You know, my skill set is pretty much based on output. Is based on how 
hard I can work and the effectiveness of those collisions or of those involvements in a game and the accumulated amount of those across the 80 minute window and as you kind of alluded to before rugby is not a sport that I grew up in it's not a sport that I when I was 1 to 11 dreamed of, of playing I barely knew what rugby was at that point so you know I wasn't brought, brought up in the tradition of rugby so it really didn't come naturally to me I guess what discipline gave me was the fact that, you know, I needed to be consistent with it. I needed to work hard with it. And even backtracking a little bit, my upbringing was, was very disciplined in terms of, you know, how we were in, in our in our family house, um, how my parents were with education, with studying. But they were, in terms of sport, they, they weren't disciplined at all. They were like, oh yeah, go exercise. But in my early years, didn't really care what that looked like or what that was. So, you know, when I first started getting into rugby, um, you know, rugby with Nigerians is not really a thing that they, you know, you don't really connect. So when I first started getting into rugby, it was seen as a potential distraction. I remember my, if my dad was here, he would always tell the story. He loves telling this story. So I'll tell it for him. <laughs> but he told this story that, you know, he, my housemaster called him up and he was like, oh, your son's very good at rugby. Then he, you know, he was a little bit worried that uh, rugby may be a distraction. And he, he called me, I was like, if the grades drop, the rugby stops. <laughs> uh, so, but anyway, the point I'm trying to make with that is, um, the discipline that I had through other aspects of my life, I was then able to to transfer that to rugby and how I trained, you know, waking up at a certain time, making sure I was eating the right things. Um, and that was all pretty much self-driven because my parents didn't care. <laughs> See, because that's a really fascinating area. I'd just like to pause and explore deeper because we have, lots of parents that listen to this who maybe have aspirations for their children that maybe the ones that are driving them to practice urging them to go out and do the extras and things like that and yet your parents were almost hands-off and just gave you freedom to if you want to do it that's fine as long as it doesn't affect your schoolwork. Mm. what do you think that gave you in terms of as as an advantage as a young athlete i think for me it just made it so that if i was going to succeed in this it had to come from me. It wasn't me relying on anyone else. You know, it was me having to wake up to catch the train, to catch the bus, to get to training. It was me having to, you know, tell my parents that, oh, can I get some money to 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 get some food for this? Or it was me having to organize that. And it just gave me that self-motivation. Um, and it also... And this is also another interesting piece with regards to like identity. My parents, the way they viewed me was never based on how good or bad I was at rugby. Really? So it wasn't necessarily a part of my self-worth, whether I was good at rugby or whether I was bad at rugby. So I, in a way, it gives a certain sense of freedom as well, because for me personally, it gave me the freedom and probably the encouragement to explore different aspects of my life, which made it so that rugby to this day probably not will never be my full identity. I love that. I mean, there's a real echo there, as you say in it about, we interviewed Ian Thorpe, the legendary swimmer, 
And he was talking about the importance of early ownership in his journey. Of His dad said to him, if you commit to swim, you have to do it for the season. But after that, it's up to you. But his other rule was, you have to wake me up to take you swimming. I'll never wake you up. So he put the responsibility on him to get up in the morning, set his alarm, get himself ready. And there's lots of research on this, that that early ownership of an athlete actually helps them thrive over a longer term. But I think the stuff you talk about there, about the identity, allows you to, if you'd wanted to walk away from rugby, you were never Marrow the Saracens player, you were Marrow the son, the student, the guy that's got an interest in Nigerian art or any of those other things. So how would your parents describe you then? What's the kind of identity that, uh, that you have at home? I'm not too sure how they would describe me. The way I like to describe myself is like a multifaceted individual who has interests in a whole range of different things. Um, but and I, I, and I think about it a lot because, you know, is, is, all, is also linked into the to the other end of the scale when it comes to like retirement and stuff. Um, and, you know, you, I think when you wholly define your life through what you do, if that is then taken away from you, it then becomes, it becomes difficult. And I, I've always been of the opinion that the other interests I have help with what I do with rugby. I remember when I was, when I was doing my undergrad um, degree, um, you know, I'll go into, I'll go into uni and, you know, meet a whole load of people who have no idea about rugby and have no interest. And I, you know, I'll be studying, blah, blah, blah. But then when I go back to training, that's, that's the fun part. That's the, you know, that's the part that's, that's interesting. That's the part that's fun. And it made me value the time that I had um, training even, even more. See, again, that's an interesting area that I know you've spoke a lot, Jake, about your work in football, that it's often used as a stick to beat footballers with that if they have interest in businesses or they're doing other studies. They're mm. all, like when they underperform on the field, it's the first thing. Uh, it depends what the right interest, and this is what frustrates me, right? If you're a footballer and you talk about staying home playing PlayStation or, or whatever, then no one criticises it. We had Hector Bayer on the podcast, the former Arsenal player, and and you know, as soon as he showed an interest in fashion or an interest in photography, and we see it now with modern players who will go to you know the fashion show in Italy or something. Suddenly, if they don't perform on the pitch, the issue is that they're more interested in fashion. And it's we live in this world where we want to put people in a box. And if you're if you're the sort of footballer that spends hours and hours playing on a computer game then we're cool with that because for whatever reason, we think that that's all right. Mm. But as soon as you show a real passion for something other than football, we think it's detrimental to the game. I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Yeah, I, um, you know, I, I agree with the, the sentiment of what you're saying. And you know, to a lesser extent, perhaps I think I potentially have experienced some of that. What I think, because, but on, on, on the flip side of that also, um, sometimes it's the truth. Sometimes, you know, players or people do get distracted by X, Y, or Z. So there's a, there's a balance that you need to find. And the way I've always tried to approach it is that you have to keep the main thing the main thing. Whilst I'm playing rugby, you know, rugby will always be the focus. Then everything else will have to fit around around rugby. I think you have to keep your focus on the thing that is is important to you. And you can't lose that focus, um, lose that intent. However, that being said, 
when I'm at club, you know, we train three days a week um, with the game on the weekend. Then we had then those training days. Most of those days, I'm finished in around three o'clock. And there's only so much recovery you can do. There's only so much analysis you can do. So there's the point I'm trying to make. There's loads of time in the week if you choose to use your week wisely um, to pursue any interests or, you know, passions outside of, 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 of your sport. Our take on this, right, is that you're a human being that plays rugby. You're not a rugby player, right? And there's a, there's a really interesting book by Sam Harris called The Captain Class, where he basically concludes that a team is not about a star player or even about a coach. It's about the leadership in the team. It's about the captain. And... There are seven traits of of being an elite captain, and you know, elite is a word that you used right at the start of this podcast. We thought it'd be interesting to explore the seven traits that he talks about in his book and just get your thoughts on them, because I think all of them will will resonate. Now, can I just say that when I interviewed Sam, when he did his book, it came out in 2016, in the conversation, he cited you as a great example of one of these leaders. He, so he talks about the captain class. We talk about them as the cultural architects, the guys that don't necessarily have to have the title, but they set the tone for the, the culture. And he was really clear that he saw you as a perfect epitome of it. He's, so he's the kind. pressure's on in terms so of we'll the have, We're either going to prove him wrong or prove him right <laughs> in the next he's 20 minutes. He's very kind. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think the, what we really want from this is a, is a conversation about, obviously we know it's centred around rugby, but it's really about the mindsets that people can take into their everyday lives, you know, because effectively we're all playing a game. Yours is rugby. For other people, it's... A different element but we're all doing the same thing so the f- the first trait is extreme doggedness and focus when it comes to competition i'd love to know how you develop that grit and silence the noise around you again it goes back to focus um you know you you just need to focus on what's important if you've played at a given level at over a certain period of time you know you go through highs and lows and often is never as good as it seems and is never as bad as it seems depending on you know where you are on the cycle and i think it's important to keep that perspective because when you go through it and when you're in it it feels like either you're the you know it's the worst thing that could possibly happen or you know you're you're superman and no one can touch you when it's it's never that so i think it's always good to keep that perspective and maintain the focus of where you want to go and with this what i found helpful with this especially is the people that you have around you you know if you have whether it's you know support staff teammates coaches that um kind of ebb and flow with the highs and lows of sport then it's 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 much harder if you have people who you know are also of the similar mindset of want to keep the focus, want to keep pushing, um, and not necessarily settled with the success, but also keep perspective when you go through tough moments. Then it allows you to maintain the focus and allows you to keep perspective. And, you know, I think it just allows you to keep that like doggedness when it's going well, but also when it's not going well, it probably helps you keep that doggedness as well because you know you have to keep on going to in order to get it right so tell us you know when you describe that experience of going as a 16 year old boy into the first team environment or 17 year old boy 
What kind of things were you learning about doggedness and grit that maybe you hadn't had from your schoolboy rugby at that stage? <laughs> the first impression was just the physicality of it. You know, I was a 16-year-old playing with men, fully formed men. And, you know, I go and, you know, at school, as, as you probably could imagine, I was, you know, amongst the tallest, amongst the strongest, et cetera, et cetera. And I went into an environment where probably the nines could beat me up if they, if they wanted to, the scrub halves. <laughs> so it, it was very different. And being the position I am, you need, that's the bit that you need to get pretty quickly especially if you want to accelerate your career as as quick as possible you need to be able to be tough you need to have that that grit have that fight within you and at Saracen especially spoke a lot about like effort effort errors like you know effort errors aren't acceptable if you make a skill error then you know that's that's on the coaches or you know we can work on that but what can't be in question is your intent what can't be in question is your fight what can't be in question is how hard you're you're willing to work that's that's a non-negotiable um so i guess like growing up growing up in that you know school of thought and you know seeing players in in the team who had that fight who had that um you know, and seeing those players in the positions that I wanted to get to was like an example of, you know, where I needed to go. But if we go to like the real granular detail of a moment when you're 16, you get put on your backside where it hurts. You're seeing guys that seem like they're on a different level physically. Like, yeah, like there's, physically. there's two moments that come to mind. The first one was I was maybe about 17 or 18 and I was joining in with, um, again, the senior session. And they were doing this, um, like, I think it was a strongman circuit, like a strongman fitness circuit. And it was like, we're pushing a prowler up and down, like a relay type of race. So I joined one of the teams and they were pushing the prowler, pushing the prowler. It got to my turn. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I, could, I couldn't, I couldn't push it. And I think, um, at the time, he's now a coach. Kenny Brown was like, oh, we're going to take some weight off of this little boy. They, they started taking the weight off. I was like, damn, I need to improve here. See, but you just, if I could just pause you there, Marok, because at that moment, you have a choice, don't you? You can either go, it's not for me. You know, maybe I've just sort of, like, I've reached my limit. Or you've gone, I've got to improve. Where does that come from? Because this is what that separates high performance from elite performance, I think. I guess though the level that I wanted to get to, um, you know, um, I like to think of myself as a like a fairly competitive individual. Um, you know, I want to be one of the best players to play. I want to be at a certain level. You know, I had goals that I wanted to achieve, and you know, I was with players who at the time. I guess back then your goals always changed, but back then my goal was wanting to be a first team Saracens player. And, you know, that was then the standard of what first team Saracens players were doing. And I guess I wasn't living up to that standard. So I knew that in order to get to that standard, there was a gap and I needed to improve in order to, to reach that standard. And, you know, with the way of life, when you then eventually reach that standard, then you're looking a little bit higher of, okay, now I'm a Saracens player, I want to be a first-team player. Then when you reach first-team player, England player, and so on and so forth. And I interrupted you, you were going to tell me about the second occasion. Uh, the second occasion, um, 
and this one was was a bit in regards to like again the physical differential between where I was and where I needed to be. Um, so I, it was my first game for Saracens. It was a preseason game. Um, I think that I was playing at blindside flanker for the game. Anyway, we we're playing the rugby team in Rotherham, and you know Rotherham are known for having gnarly forwards, like big, strong, physical team, mainly a set piece sort of team. And as you know, it, it happens in rugby. There was a you know there was a little little scuffle that was happening, and then I came in to like protect my players. I pushed one guy. Then he looked at me, then pushed me back. Then I was like, <laughs> I just felt the push in my chest. I was like, whoa, this is, <laughs> this, is, this, is, this, is this is the same teenagers that I'm used to pushing. <laughs> These are men. I felt the weight in his arms. <laughs> and then luckily, one of my teammates came to back me up. Otherwise, I would have been in a bit of trouble. So that was another example of like uh, me realizing that I need to get back in the gym. This, <laughs> this works though, because the second thing on the list of the traits of elite captains is aggressive play that tests the limit of the rules which is exactly what you've described even as a 16 year old coming into that environment you were you were happy to do it um you're also renowned on the pitch as there's something of a trash talker <laughs> <laughs> so i'm fascinated to just talk about this for a moment because here we have this guy in front of us eloquent bright well-educated demonstrating control not swearing, let alone in front of his parents, yet on the rugby field, there'll be opponents thinking, hold on a minute, I, I, I met a different marrow when I went up against Saracens or England. So how do you marry the, the two characters and what does that trash talking do for you? You know, I think rugby is a, it's an emotional game, emotional sport, and, you know, you need to be, well, for me anyway, people are different. I need to be of a different mindset when I'm playing as opposed to when I'm just having a lovely conversation with two lovely gentlemen. So, you know, I don't need to you know, carry that same confrontational energy when I'm here than when I'm on the field. I don't even know if I'm a trash talker like that, to be honest. I, I've heard people speak really, <laughs> really complimentary, except when they've been yeah, on the receiving yeah. end. I, I don't even know if I'm a trash talker like that. I think I perhaps, you know, do engage in it a little bit. You know, I think what potentially frustrates, you know, opposition is that I can be quite loud. You know, I like to celebrate the little moments um, quite enthusiastically. And what's um, that about? Is that about affecting them or affecting you and your team well it's first and foremost is is like most of my actions is is for me first and foremost so i feel as if you know um as i said kind of touched on earlier i'm not the, the player that is i guess blessed with so much innate skill a lot of my attributes in rugby is about energy is about the uh, how how many involvements I can have in the game, how many positive contributions I can have in the game. Um, so I use those moments to try and g myself up with regards to energy and hopefully energize my teammates. And I guess the byproduct of that is it rubs people up the wrong way sometimes, but the byproduct of rubbing people up the wrong way gives me more energy. So it's a self, self-fulfilling <laughs> prophecy, I guess. Hold up. 
Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. We've recently interviewed Sam Tompkins from Rugby League on this, and he has a similar reputation as being one of the sport's great trash talkers. And when we spoke to him about it, his answer was, I'll do anything for that extra 1%. And one of the things we spoke about was that while he's trash talking, he's not looking to see whether his opponent's listening. He's looking for the next play and he's just doing it. It's almost like as a, as that little 1% to get the advantage. So I think it sounds similar. It's not a criticism, mm. this stuff that, uh, in the ball. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, I, I definitely see, see mine as first and foremost, it's definitely about giving you know my teammates and myself energy um it's just an added bonus that it potentially runs people up the wrong way <laughs> it's the power of these marginal gains little things you can do i think that can create an edge let's talk about another one number three is a willingness to do thankless jobs in the shadows is the trait of a of an elite leader we know that there's a a phrase at saracens the shit that no one ever sees could you share more on that with us? Yeah, TSPDS is all about you know all the all the little things that makes a, a winning team or a winning performance that the outside world doesn't necessarily pay too much attention to. But without that, you know the the star moments can't can't happen. And you know, as as with most things in life, you always see the highlight moments and the the you know the the big landmark moments, which you know captures everyone's imagination. But more than likely, there's loads of little things that have that have happened in the background that have allowed that moment to take place. Um, and you know, I think as a part of our processes, we try and pay you know significant attention to people doing the, 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 you know, the shit that people don't see. Like what? Uh, Can you give us an example of what that is? It could be a kick chase. It could be getting up from the ground quickly and getting back in the line. It could be just doing an extra effort to put pressure on the 10's foot just so his, his kick is 5% 
worse than what it would have been. It could be, you know, um, in the line out, it could be a little shimmy away from the ball for the people who aren't who aren't involved in the actual lift, um, which made us distract their their eyes a little bit, which gives us more space to win the ball. Um, you know, it could be it could be anything really, um, but all those little things. Um, make a make a big difference one of my coaches used to told me once that nothing is ever neutral you're you're either positively influencing the team or you're negatively influencing the team you know no action is is neutral so you know in that respect you know everything matters everything you do matters everything you do has a has a consequence either positive or negative is either bringing you closer to the goal or taking you further away which brings us to number four then on uh, Sam's list, which is a low-key, practical and democratic communication style. The research in the book is really fascinating on this, where there's sort of MIT studies on it about leaders, that it's not about doing big Churchillian speeches, it's the way that they communicate with like quiet gestures or eye contact or physical contact. It's like the glue of leadership. I learned a little secret out. I've actually read this book, <laughs> and uh, in the in the book they they gave the example with Tim Duncan and that's this, right. In yeah, yeah. Book, and they're talking about how he's not, you know, he's not a massively loud person. He's not an extrovert, but he's very good at connecting. Very good at touching base with different people whether it's you know verbal or just like little eye contact and stuff like that and yeah it's 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 i guess it's important it's important i think everyone has a different style of how to do that for some people it may be a bit more extroverted so for others it may be a bit more introverted in, in or in the shadows but you know they both can be as effective as one another what's yours I don't think I'm necessarily the the loudest person in the you know when in in the in the environment. I don't think I'm one of those guys who you know you walk into a room you'll hear his voice like dominating you know everyone else. By the same time on the pitch, I I tend to be loud because it goes back to that energy type of thing that I want to create for myself and for the team so I can be quite noisy you might you may hear me shouting and screaming and stuff and so I don't, I don't, I don't know I think I'm a mixture a mixture of both I think I probably lean more towards connecting with people touching base you know I like to think that if if I do need to speak um I, I will speak, and I'll, if I do need to talk to the team, that then I, I will do that if it's if it's the right time and place. Um, but I, I don't I don't think I'll I'll be described as you know the loudest person in the room. I'd like that though. I mean, the next captain's trait in the book was motivating others with passionate, non-verbal displays. And there's that old phrase, isn't there? The squeakiest wheel gets the most oil. So you know, traditionally, the loudest person gets the most attention. I like to think that we're moving into an era where it's not about how loud you are, it's about what you've got to say. Have you noticed that in rugby, that you can have an impact on a team without needing to be a loud, sweary, shouty, kind of full-on individual? Yeah, massively. Um, I think when you look at some of the you know most influential people or teammates that I've played with, they're often the ones that don't need to say too much and you just know you look in their eyes and you know that they're gonna they're gonna do it and 
all this stuff is great and it's very important, but by far the best form of, of leadership that I've come across and that I've seen is through example, by, by your actions, by what you actually do. That tells your, your team and teammates way more than any speech, any, you know, nonverbal communication that you can, you can do. That's the, always the, the best form of leadership is by, is by playing well. Um, you know, and everything else, you know, flows from that and you need to, you know, you obviously want to improve on those things, but first and foremost, it's about playing well. If you play well, then you're, you're doing at least 70, 80% of, 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 of leading effectively. I also think that you like, that you're a brave leader as well. Um, and I know one of the traits is strong convictions and the courage to stand apart. I don't think you can be a leader unless you stand apart. And I've seen, you know, over the last few years, you've had an opinion about social issues, political issues. You've spoken about Brexit and other things. How important is it for you to share those opinions and for people to understand what you stand for as a man, not just as a rugby player? Um, yeah, I think um, I think authenticity is is a massive part of what I try to be anyway. I try and be as authentic as authentically myself as as possible. Um because I well I think because that's what I respect in others. You know, I have teammates who hold, you know, wholly different views to me. Um but when they're when they're principled and when they're authentic with that I kind of respect it, um, as opposed to individuals who just sway with with the wind. Can you give us an example? Um, so even um, this is not my teammate, but an example being uh, Novak Djokovic and his 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 stance with regards to I think it was the Australian Open and and COVID etc cetera, etc. Cetera. He made a stance of not believing it was the right thing for him to do individually. And whether that is right or wrong is a different conversation. But what I respect about that, he was, he said, this is what I believe. These are my principles and I'm not bending. Um, and normally what happens there is, you know, he get threatened with, you know, fines, you get threatened with, playing opportunities you get threatened with you know how you're seen socially however if you're truly principled you're like no nah, that's, that's against my values and whether you agree or disagree is for me a different conversation what i respect about that is that he believes something and he's he's willing to stand by it come hell or high water and i think there's something noble about that whether or not you dis you agree or disagree with what he's actually said. And I appreciate you saying that, but because I know that in the back of your head is that little voice going, oh, do I even want to say this? Because the world we live in now, people will try and claim mm. that I'm a, in agreement with what he... And I know what you mean. Like, I think we probably all disagreed with his stance, but I think we can all also understand that without disagreement, there's no progress. Mm. And it's a really important part, I think, of, of modern society that we're possibly losing the ability to do which is to disagree but accept someone else's point of view yeah disagree agreeably people can't do it anymore i've read that i might be wrong on this i'd be interested if you confirm it but at saracens you've had things like book clubs or philosophy groups where you can have these debates around topics 
without having to seek that everyone achieves a consensus. Would you tell us about that and what sort of skills they've given you then? Yeah, um, we we used to have the, we haven't done it for a while, but we used to have this philosophy club as you've as you've mentioned, and you know we'll you know we'll explore a, like a Greek philosophy or ancient Greek philosophy, whether it's Stoicism or whether it's you know Aristotle or something, or maybe it'll be in or around a virtue like what is honesty, like what is what is being a, your genuine self type thing. And we'll just, you know, we'll, we'll more often than not start with a dialogue. Then we'll just discuss it and just see, see where it, where it lands. And, you know, for me, it's two parts. One, I find that kind of stuff interesting anyway. Um, so it's, it's, it's always interesting to hear or slash learn more, more about it. Um, and two, it, I, I guess it's good because it gives you a different insight into, um, you know, a different point of view and your your teammates' point of view. Um, and you mentioned like art, and it's a little bit similar to art in in the sense that you know we can look at you know a painting, and your opinion of the painting could be totally different to mine. Um, you know, and, but we're seeing the same thing. Um, you know, we're seeing the exact same picture, but you can see that, oh, the trees mean this. Then I think, oh, they're just trees. They don't mean anything type thing. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's that kind of thing. And it's, I think it's always interesting to see a different point of view and, you know, test your point of view against, against theirs. Should we do our quick fire questions? You've heard the podcast, so you know them, right? I think so. <laughs> I think so. Let's see. The three non-negotiables that you and the people around you have to buy into. I think with this, it's, you know, what I would like them to buy into. Um, I don't always have full control of the people around me. So, but in terms of what, you know, I think are three things that is important that they have, especially if, you know, it wants to be a positive relationship with me, I would say honesty is a big one. Um, just being honest with, with me, um, being honest with yourself. If you think, something is wrong tell me um if you think something's good you can also tell me as well but let's um let's get to the point as, as opposed to beat around the bush and you know from there we can build and if something's wrong we can we can we can fix that i think respect is another one respect is uh, just treating people with you know respect is 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 massively important you know i think it's almost the foundations of any any healthy relationship and number three i'll say punctuality i'll say punctuality i think just being respectful of people's times if you're going to say you're going to be somewhere be it i don't really like being late for people i don't really like it when people are late for you know meetings and stuff that i set up so i'll say punctuality is is is, is a big one there and by the way, this is now the Atoji question. I've rewritten it. Because you're right, you don't control people around you. So from now on, when you listen to this podcast, it will be, what are the three non-negotiables that you stand by and that you would like the people around you to buy into? <laughs> there we go. Yeah. There you go. What's your biggest weakness and your greatest strength, Mara? Um, someone once told me that often the best thing about you can also be the worst. Mm. Um, I think I'm, I'm very self-driven. I'm very independent, meaning that I 
don't often rely on other people for for help. Yeah. I think my natural default is to be self-contained and you know manage everything myself, which I think is a is a big strength in a lot of areas. But I also think it can be a weakness in your professional life, but also outside of that, in your in your in your personal relationships as well, because you perhaps don't open yourself up to other people um, as much, or maybe you don't showing vulnerability isn't the default. Right. What's the hidden cost of living your life? I think there are the few things, you know, you make a lot of sacrifices with regards to doing, um, you know, what we do with regards to time and you miss a lot of momentous occasions. Like just last weekend, it was one of my best friend's birthdays, but I couldn't go to it because I had a game. You know, the amount of weddings, birthdays, christenings, family occasions, et cetera, et cetera, that I've, that I've missed has been a lot. But, you know, that that's a sacrifice that, you know, I would pay over and over again because the flip side of that has allowed me to do so much. I think there's another thing another aspect with, with regards to time as well you know play playing rugby and you know playing at this level it linked to what i said before but it kind of stops it kind of brings a disjointedness to your life you go into camps you're here then you're there then you're there and it's i guess sometimes it's hard to keep up with friendships hard to keep up with all these different types of aspects of 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 your of your life and with that, it's people's perceptions of you. Yeah, I meet someone on the street and they recognize me as a rugby player and they have a preconceived idea of me. And because they've obviously seen me play rugby, they think that, I think there's sometimes a barrier that they think that just because they're a fan or they're, they're a supporter or they, they know who you are, they can either like one, speak to you in a certain way or one, you know, demand an aspect of your time or invade aspects of your privacy etc so i guess that's also a cost to it as well very good listen it's been a really fun fascinating hour and a bit what would you like to leave our audience with your sort of final message for living a high performance life ringing in their ears what would you like it to be um nothing too fancy from me I would just say, you know, hard work is the the foundation everything is is built on. If you live a life of hard work and fulfillment, you know, you're probably more than likely to live a high performance life and you'll probably be happy doing it as well. I love that. And in many ways that answer sums up the whole interview, I think. You know, the words you say carry real weight and real resonance and um you know, I think you can be understated, but an overachiever as well. And I think that is exactly what you are. You know, you don't feel the need to shout from the rooftops about what you've achieved. You talk about it with a real mental clarity and it's uh, it's highly impressive to spend an hour talking to you. So thank you oh, very thank much. Thank you for having me. It's been an honour and a pleasure. The honour and the pleasure is all out. <laughs> thank you. Really enjoyed that. I enjoyed it Thanks, too. Damien. Jake. Look, you spent a lot of time in and around the world of rugby. What did you make of Marrow? I thought he was fantastic. I thought he was... That example that we spoke about, about being the captain class or what we call the cultural architects, I think he's 
a poster boy for that. I think he's cerebral. He thinks about his game. He's able to articulate it. He's a team player first. And I was really chuffed that we were able to explore some of those aspects with him. Yeah. What stood out most? I love the fact that he's, he's, he thinks about his craft. He thinks about the small things, you know, about the experience that he's described as a 16-year-old boy going up into the first-team dressing room at Saracens and having John Smith and some of those big first-name players come and shake his hand is something that he wants to pass on to the next generation himself. Having somebody that acknowledges that he might take his game right to the limits of what you'd consider sportsmanship but understanding the reason he does it is somebody that isn't just acting in an irrational or emotional way. He's a really considered, thoughtful character. And I think that really stood out for me, how smart he was. Yeah. And I just love the fact that he describes himself as, you know, like a multifaceted individual. And you don't have to be as deep as Johnny Wilkinson to be there. You can be the way that Marrow is, which is someone who isn't just, you know, we've said it before, he's not a rugby player, he's a guy who plays rugby and he came in and for those that have listened to this rather than watched it on YouTube, he came in looking a million dollars, massive smile on his face, talking about his interest in artwork and sort of discussing what he does away from rugby and I think that, I do think we're seeing a change in the way that we view, talk about and consider our our athletes. I mean, I'm still depressed by the negative reporting that I felt there was around the World Cup you know, at the back end of 2022 and like one bad performance, it's the end of the world, one good performance and it's the greatest thing we've ever seen. Everybody wants to have an opinion. Everyone wants to be critical. I like to think that we're easing off on that a bit, maybe not fully, obviously, but hopefully, you know, the more we hear people like Marrow talking the way that he did, um, the more it will change people's opinions and we'll be reminded that actually these journalists are writing about humans. These football fans are tweeting about humans. You know, these are people and they're not perfect. Yeah. Brilliant point. I think the final point I'd sort of highlight for that was just this definition of high performance and the distinction between high performance and elite performance. Like you said to him at the time, that that's the first time we've had anybody draw us a distinction from that. And, you know, it's really made me reflect on, like, the standard of elite performance is one thing, but high performance is something that's subjective and relevant to all of us. And I'm really grateful that he shared that with us. Me too. Thanks a lot, mate. Thank you, mate. Loved it. Okay, it's time for the part of the show that we love, where we get to speak to the people that actually listen and are impacted by the conversations we have here on the High Performance Podcast. And it's a real pleasure to welcome Arvin. Hey, Arvin. Thank you, Jake. It's an absolute honour and a pleasure and a delight to be speaking to you, honestly. like, like I think the work you guys are doing is just truly inspirational and I'm grateful. So thank you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. You're very, very kind. So look, you, you sent us an email um, telling us all kinds of things about your life. Let's talk about the first thing. You run a small plant-based restaurant. Whereabouts is that? What it's, what's it called? Uh, it's called Amrutha Lounge and uh, we're based in southwest London in Earlsfield and uh, it's a little restaurant, community-based restaurant, small restaurant, like uh, 12 tables, but it's like coming to a friend's house for dinner. So let's start with the restaurant then, Arvin. What's high performance done for you as a businessman? Oh, wow. Like it's, li- the thing with the high performance is it's a the work you guys do, all of the guests you guys have on, what we try to preach at the restaurant and practice at the restaurant, it's all exactly the same thing. For me, there's one truth. There's literally one truth and there's different interpretations of it, different levels to it. 
culture and people, it comes out in different ways, but essentially it's all the same thing. It sounds to me, Arvin, like there's some non-negotiable behaviours going on in your place. So tell us, what are, like, what are the three non-negotiable behaviours that you and these angels that work for you have to buy into? There's a couple of things we do. Very simply, we've got this little thing called pakoras, like deep fried vegetables. People go mad for it. It's just so simple, but it's people go mad for it. But every pakora leaves the kitchen perfectly golden and crispy. And every customer leaves with a smile on their face. If you do the, those two things, every single thing will work out completely. And I absolutely believe in that. And I absolutely practice that. And when we do that at the restaurant, it manifests itself. And what I mean by that, if you don't mind me expanding, okay, is when you pay that level of attention to each nugget of pakora coming out like a golden, perfect, crispy nugget, okay, then that level of care and attention you put into that one element of one menu will translate into other things. You're not going to have stodgy rice. You're not going to have hard rice. That same level of care will translate itself into other parts. It sounds like a great example of the Sean Wayne episode where he told us that how you do anything is how you do everything. So the way you focus on this pakora is almost the way that it defines the whole culture of your, of your brilliant restaurant. Love it. The power of the pakora. <laughs> Wonderful. Before we, uh, before we wrap this up, and thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Uh, you know, people may well listen to this and they will be like, well, yeah, that's great for Arvin. He's done really well. He's set up his restaurant. Life's easy for him. No wonder he feels great and high performance feels simple. But as part of your message, you know, you told us that you've had some really, really dark times. Would you mind briefly touching on the thing you learned most in that time that you think would be really valuable for the people listening to this conversation, mate? The thing is, like I say, like I've, I've, I've had wonderful people come into my life and guide me in ways where it, it just every day is just works out perfectly. And it, it, it's a process that's happening naturally. But at times it only got there because there was a, a point when my mum, my best friend's mum and, and another one of my best friend's mum, all within a very short period of time, all got diagnosed with different illnesses and we all reacted in different ways. But that's when healthy eating and all of these things kind of came into my life and something changed and yoga, meditation, inspirational people like the work you're doing. I promise you, I can't tell you the value of you. I'm sure you know the value of the work, but it's incredible because it allows people to connect. I don't want to get too dark with the stuff and things. I just want to keep it super positive because like I say, everyone goes through stuff. I don't think the world admires people that have it all good and have it all be easy. I think the world admires people that have had a tough time, that have gone through things, but overcome those things. I can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing with us the things that you've learned from the podcast, Arvin. And uh, listen, the next time that we're down in the capital, we want we want the works. I mean, I want to be, I want to eat so much pakora. You roll me out of that restaurant, buddy. <laughs> a guaranteed. And thank you, boys, and continue the incredible work you're doing. The pleasure's ours, Arvin. Thank you. Well, that's it from this episode of the High Performance Podcast. Of course, thank you very much to Marrow for joining us. Huge thanks to the whole High Performance team as well for their hard work creating this episode. But the biggest thanks goes to you. Listen, there's only one thing I ask you to do, um, and that is to share this content. Whether you just want to ping it to a friend, WhatsApp it in a work WhatsApp group, stick it on your Instagram, tweet it, I don't mind. But you sharing this podcast 
is the single most important thing that you can do for us. Don't forget, you can also subscribe so that you get these podcasts sent straight to you. Anyway, thanks for joining us and we'll see you again soon for another episode of High Performance. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.